Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Larry Jacobs on November 9th, 2022. Welcome to the K-12 Education Talk Radio. And by the way, regardless of the date, I'm still Larry Jacobs. It's nice to have you here today. It's also nice to have my guest here today. We're going to be talking to Chris Amundsen. Chris is the author of a new book. Keep it on before I'll explain it in a second. It's called Unfinished Learning. I have it linked if you're listening, you can see the link over there. Unfinished Learning, Parents, Schools, and the COVID School Closure. She's really good at writing about parents and schools and involvement in education. She's great at that. I, I highly recommend everything she writes. She's a former teacher and school board chair and state legislator and CEO of NASB's State Boards of Education. She's written extensively about parent involvement in education. She's great. And we're going to talk to her about the new book again. It's called Unfinished Learning. We're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org, where we archive all our shows, and that's our home website of our American Consortium for Equity in Education. Go over there. We're just about to maybe do it today. And again, today is uh, Wednesday, uh, the uh, 9th of November. Did I say the 8th before? It's the 9th. Okay, and uh, we're putting a new issue of the magazine, Equity and Access, up there today at ace-ed.org. And if you go over there, we'll not only archive this podcast and all the podcasts are over there, but we also have the teacherretention.com linked and, and also SEL Today linked over there. They're good websites, so check it out. I hope you do. We're trying to get all that good information out there. So, and we work hard at it, believe me, me and my good partner, Maya Appleby, down in Florida. I'm up here in Maine where it is amazingly chilly. It was about 25 degrees here this morning after a 75-degree day two days ago. Let's find out what it is in Virginia. Hi, Chris. Larry here. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. How are you? I'm just fine. I'm watching the election results. I've got the TV off now, but... Uh, We'll see what happens. It was very different from I what everybody say, predicted. I up, right. I was like everybody in America up till a million o'clock. So um, <laughs> if, you know, if I don't entirely track, uh, we're all, I think, a little sleep deprived, but um, stunned uh, that the predictions were just completely wrong. Yeah. You've got to so, leave it up to the people. That's all there is to it. And someday exactly. we'll figure that out. Exactly. Okay, exactly. uh, I'll just I'll just mention Dewey didn't defeat Truman, and we'll go from there. You know, <laughs> right? It, it's it's right. That, it, it's that simple. And welcome back to the show, Chris. It's great to have you here, and I'm so glad you got in touch so we could do this show. Uh, I just want to read. I got this. I got the uh, book linked here over to Amazon, but I just want to just want to go over what it, what, it, what this is, the book is about. Unfinished learning. Chris Amundsen's our guest follows families as they navigate the challenges of virtual learning from figuring out how to log on to a sometimes unstable school platform, everybody sharing the, the computer to ensuring their kids' special education needs. Some people did great. Other people did lousy during the uh, pandemic. Okay, we did our best, obviously. They invented the uh, – they were building the plane as they were flying. But there is an impact from the COVID school closures that affected some people more than others. And I know you love writing about family engagement and with schools and all that. These are public schools, so it's good that families are involved. Chris, I'm going to, you know, what, what prompted you to write all this? Where, where you, what happened? Yeah. Something must have happened. So yeah. Really, back in the very beginning of school closures and back in that time, you may re remember when we were all still washing our groceries? It was about that early. 
<laughs> Are you kidding me? That... Oh, we used to leave the mail on the porch for two days oh, because yeah, the mailman yeah, touched yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, it, exactly. it, it was only so, two or three years so, ago. It seems like so a million years ago. Yeah, right. It was yeah. two and a half years ago, which feels yeah, like a million of. Yeah. And and we didn't. There wasn't much science, and there was um, no leadership whatsoever from the federal level. There were in some countries, and and we can later talk about. Uh, I just wrote an op-ed for the Richmond paper about how different okay. things were in Norway. But what I will say for here is, I started to hear. Thank, thank you, Ms. Amundsen. From, I got the I got the uh, Norway connection there, Ms. Amundsen. Yeah, thank exactly. You. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Uh, I started hearing stories from my friends about their kids and from young people that I knew that were now suddenly um, between a Friday the 13th and the following Monday in March of 2020, they went from sending their kids off to school to trying to figure out how they were going to do online learning. And did not go well. It went very badly from the start. It went badly even if your family was the sort of advantaged and privileged family that had enough internet, you know, connectivity. A lot of families, I mean, if you were a family that had been taking your kid to McDonald's to use the Wi-Fi in the week before um, testing happened, then you know, this was going to be particularly hard for you. If you were a family who whose only smart device was a smartphone, you were just not going to be able to get your kid online. So, But even for families who had computers and connectivity and the freedom to work at home, things just didn't go well from the start. Teachers had almost no support in figuring out you know, uh, an activity that you can do that would be gangbusters in your classroom doesn't work online. That's right. Um, And, you know, we we ask teachers to do something they were not at all trained to do. They were were not not trained or prepared to do. And they they did pretty well, all things considered. But I'm not, you know, I'm I'm defending teachers, but it was a horrible situation. You know what I mean? Well, what I'm going to say also is that um, teachers we now know worked two or three hours a day longer than they had been working when they were in their classrooms. Now, teachers already work longer than their paid hours, as we know. So teachers were breaking their necks. Families were going crazy trying desperately to figure out how they were going to, particularly in that early time, you might have to sign on at 9.05 on Zoom for reading class, and then at 11.14 on uh, Microsoft Teams for math. Um, You know, I, I talked to one family that said, you know, we have between us three degrees, including one advanced degree in education created a spreadsheet and it took us an hour and a half to figure out where our daughter, our third grade daughter, had to be online every day so she could get the classes that she needed. So it was a disaster. It was a disaster if you had access. And if you were a family that didn't have access and huge, huge numbers, most of them you will not be surprised to learn 
the kids who need in-person schooling most. So right. kids from right. low-income families, kids who uh, whose families didn't speak English. Right. Um, all of those kids had had were completely. I mean, the school door was essentially shut. So for huge numbers of kids, school ended in March. And I started feeling like somebody needed to tell their story. You know, somebody was going to have to tell the story. This this was something we had never gone through in this country. So that's what I started to do. And, And the way that I always work when I'm working on a project is I just call up smart people and ask them a lot of questions. And in this case, the smart people were also parents who were living through this. And so I just Mm -hmm. talked to them and followed them. And several of them I called, you know, a couple of times, how's it going now? And, and then I started to look at the data and uh, it was worse than I thought it was going to be. So that's why I ended up deciding that somebody had to tell the story and it was me. So that's how the book started. And you you, you, you were a good author and and you, you know, this, uh, you know the, the world of education uh, as well as anyone does. I got to tell you, okay, and, uh, and <laughs> good stuff. And I really mean that. Uh, you, you've always been so involved. And I just—I don't know whether I just read this before. You're a former teacher. You're state board of education chairperson. You were state legislator. I mentioned Nesby. I mean, it's just—you're mm-hmm. uh, really so well grounded in all this, and it's so great. Let me let me ask you the the uh, the question for the end of the book. What do you want people to learn from this? I mean, what you what you're writing about and the ordeal that folks went through. I mean, it has to it right. has to be told. I, right. I, I right. absolutely 100 percent agree with that. Okay, but when all said and done, all right, where do you want the book to go? What do you want people to realize from it? I'd say a couple of things. One, first of all, is um, we have to stop being defensive about the fact that this was a terrible thing that we did to kids. Nobody did it intentionally. That's um, right. I, you know, right. possibly, I mean, there was, there was, uh, there were bad decisions made at every level of government, um, you know, from Donald Trump's refusal even to track the number of cases so that school administrators who desperately wanted to know if they should keep schools open or close them didn't have any accurate information to work with. Um, yeah, I have to. I have to say, you don't usually get very political, but it is the day after election. I have to say, back in those days, because that's a couple of years ago now, uh, President Trump was not useful. Okay, he was well, not, in my yeah, opinion, right. useful. And and yeah. and look, um, yeah. governors, uh, all fifty of them, every last one of them, uh, made the decision that uh, when it, <clears throat> when it came time to figure out. You know, we couldn't, as you know, as a country, we shut everything down for a yep. period of a couple of months. And then then we had to make decisions about what we were going to reopen and in what order. Now, one would have thought, and in fact, in some European countries, including my beloved Norway, um, <laughs> what what government said was our top priority is going to be getting kids back in classrooms. And everything else that we decide is going to be centered with, you know, it's going to be like kids are going to be in the center and the adults are going to be around them, basically protecting them. And so we will open other things as long as it does not interfere 
with the ability of children to go back to school. We, of course, did the opposite. And what I will tell you, Larry, that I will never get over is that we reopened bars and tattoo parlors and not classrooms. Wow. And with predictable results. Children need to be in school. Um, They need, you for 85% probably of children, you, you need a teacher working with you to learn, for example, how to read. There are some kids who just figure it out and breathe on. But for most kids, what we know is somebody has to teach you how to do that. Right. And exactly. when we which, get a little, which, by the way, I always say is an absolute miracle that teachers teach that kids how to read. I think that's absolutely Fascinating. I don't, hardest, I don't know how they do it. They one just of do our, it. I know. We, we, uh, that, maybe that'll be my next book, Larry, is, is yeah, you know, yeah, what happens just with, amazing to me. <laughs> with helping anyway. kids learn to read. When kids get to third grade, <clears throat> they need to learn to multiply and divide because if you think about it, all of algebra and the math beyond depends on a clear understanding of fractions. Now, if you are never taught how to multiply and divide, you're just essentially shut out of advanced math until you acquire those skills. And again, there probably are some small percentage of kids who just figure it out, but most kids need to be taught. So so there are these huge gaps. It is not when I say that there are huge, huge learning loss gaps. I am not blaming teachers. But I am saying we have to acknowledge it, we have to be honest about it, and we have to fix it. So that's the first thing. And I want to ask ask you this, and this has always bugged me about, about, quote, I'll call it learning loss, unfinished learning, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. All right. I want to say this the right way. You know, Everybody got into this, not everybody got into the same boat, but a lot of people got into the same boat. You know, schools were closed, like you said, for a given period of time, and everybody did the best we can, okay? But, you know, everybody in that, in that same boat, can we get somehow over the course of the next few years, okay, catch them up? And then at the end of the line, okay, 12th grade, just come back a little bit. They don't have to learn quite everything we did for a few years. Okay, and then bring it back now that the pod, now the podcast, now that the uh, COVID is over. And I, I'm always wondering, you know, we've got time to fix this. All right, and, and what's what's your thought on that? Yeah, I'm let, curious, Chris. let me segment that. Let let me yeah, segment please. that because I want to I want to answer two parts of it. One is, can't we catch them up? And the answer is yes, we absolutely can. Um, sure, we, can. we know how to do that. We are not doing it, but we know how. And and here's what it takes. Um, and and for this, I talked um, with the late Robert Slavin, whom I'm sure you've had you had um, you know in right. his lifetime on this podcast because he's yeah. such an expert. And um, I actually, with a group of other people, started a tutoring program that is ongoing now in Northern Virginia um, using oh, nice. the Slavin nice. research and principles. Nice. And here's what here's what Slavin told us, and what we do, which is First, if you say a child is a year behind, say, in math, it doesn't mean the kid doesn't know any of the things that he would need right. to know to, 
right? There are some things he does know. So the first thing you have to do is diagnose as clearly as you can, and there are really good diagnostic instruments that will help you do that. So that if the kid already knows fractions but doesn't get decimals, focus on that, you know, focus on the areas that the kid needs to know. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing is you've mm-hmm. got to have clear diagnostics. Uh, and if you've had, you know, any medical issues, you know that the doctor, you know, diag- spends a great deal of time on diagnostics because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go in and, and do surgery until I know precisely where I'm <laughs> right. going. Right. That's exactly what we have to do. So the first thing is diagnostics. The second thing is extra time then focused on those areas of loss. And um, our tutoring program actually operates um, after school. I think there are some schools, particularly middle schools, that are using like their activity period now. Uh, what we what we know is that teachers cannot do that in a classroom. You cannot there is not time for a teacher to create an individualized lesson plan for each of 25 kids in five classes a day. So there are going to have to be additional people to help. And those have to be trained. Yeah. Uh, Slavin yeah. argues, and I agree, they have to be paid. In our tutoring <laughs> program, we're using aspiring educators. And um, they are then getting skills at doing diagnostics. They're getting skills at doing remedial education because you and I both know. I mean, gosh, when I went into a classroom as a first-year teacher, I had no more idea of how to help a kid who was behind than, you know, I knew (laughs) how to fly. I mean, so we are giving teachers those skills that they are going to need when they get into their own classrooms. So that's what it is. got to have consistency uh, three times a week. You got to have really small groups, two or three. And if you do those things, you can get kids caught up. Yeah, and Mostly what about, Chris, let me ask you this. What, 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 what about, and I always, you know, I talk to a lot of ed tech companies, and they yeah. all have, quote, uh, I'll, I'll say personalized learning, where if a kid doesn't understand something, <laughs> he stays there, so to speak, on screen until right. they learn it, and then they move on. All right. And, you know, it, it's good. That's good. That's a wonderful use of technology. Right. Okay. In education, you agree with that, certainly. Okay. Where does that mm-hmm. fit into all this? Are, are, and well, I guess I my think question good... is, are, do you feel like teachers, like we can use that to catch these kids up and solve this unfinished learning challenge? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's not, it is not a magic bullet, but a good teacher no. can Thank and you. should use that as well as everything else you know i don't care if it's puppet shows for god's sake that (laughs) that people need to get a kid to figure out that you know the f letter says um b letter says buh um that's there are tools available there are good teaching techniques but somebody has to plan it and organize it and focus on it so that's the first thing is we can catch kids up. Now, the second thing is can't we just back off on some of what we yeah. – and here's my worry about that. You know who – my daughter would not have been backed off. I would have ensured that she had BC calculus no matter what, right? You would mm-hmm. have ensured your kid got exactly the classes and the skills and all of that that he or she would have needed to get into whatever 
program exactly. they exactly. wanted to go to. Exactly. Who's not going to get that are, again, the poor kids, the kids mm. whose parents don't, don't speak English, the kids whose parents don't know how to navigate the whole end of the mm-hmm. process to get their kids into any kind of advantageous position. So my worry is, no, we can't do things that we know are going to increase inequity. We just can't. And and I will say I this, agree Tom with that. Kane, Tom Kane from Harvard. Yep. Does is the school closures and the learning loss, and we of course have now just seen it in the National Assessment of Educational Progress. I'm just going to ask you about those, but go ahead. Please. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. do that in a minute. I mean, which is basically chapter eight of my book. Um, yeah. If, if there were a chapter eight, but he says <laughs> it is the biggest increase in educational inequity generation. Mm-hmm. It is devastating, and it will be devastating. Kids like mine and yours will end up mostly okay. Now, many of us know people. I had a friend who was a military kid, and she moved every year. And there were just occasionally little things that she just flat didn't know. And it was because they taught it in third grade when she was somewhere, you know. Exactly, they, they, they taught it in fourth grade, grade when exactly. she was in third yeah. grade, and then the next year, yeah. you know. So, like, writing the That's five one of the reasons I always liked Common essay. Core. Like, you know, what can I tell you? Right, we'll exactly. Move on that. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, like, writing the five-paragraph essay. I mean, anybody can learn it, but you have to be – it's not intuitive. You have to be taught it. And if if they taught it in seventh grade and you were in sixth grade and, and so you didn't get it, and then the next place when you got to seventh grade, they had already taught it in sixth grade, you're just going to miss that. My friend Toddy was like that. There, she'd just have these weird little gaps, and she'd go, oh, yeah. That was I'm laughing. Grade. It's not yeah, funny, just, but it is, but yeah, it just jumps. You well, know? it is funny. So, you know, so, but by and large, um, our kids, you know, upper middle class, upper middle class kids are going to, in the end, come out of this okay. It is the kids who need school the most, who are not, you know, it's every time we back off, those are the kids who get hurt. And that, that I just, you know, I can't live with that. So, I so, just can't. So, so what, what's the answer? And by the way, I want to say something which I love about your book. You, you didn't call the book Learning Loss, okay? Like it's lost forever. You called it unfinished learning. In other words, we can still finish it. Okay, it's an unfinished well, right. race. But, but okay, we got to run that last the last quarter. Although it's uh, a little bit of a slam at the people who wouldn't let us talk about learning loss. And in fact, I <clears throat> I tell the story uh, in the book of back in the Carter administration when inflation and recession were very rampant. Alfred Kahn was then the head of the he was doing deregulation of the airlines, but he was an economist. He was a really well-respected economist. And he used to talk about the recession. And then the White House called him up and informed him that as a member of the administration, he was not permitted to use the word recession. So Fred Kahn started calling it a banana. And he would say, (laughs) the banana's pretty bad. And it doesn't look like the banana is going to, you know. And and so calling, deciding we can't say learning loss is a little bit like calling it a banana. It was yeah. learning loss. 
if if we don't do something about it, it will be lost. Exactly. But I'm but you're fine. but you're feeling is your feeling we can do something about it? What's your thought we on can. that? Yes, we can. And so it's but unfinished. We have to. It's unfinished. It, well, yes. I mean, it is. That's why I love is. your title. I, I just I'm not big on you. You'll be shocked to learn this. I'm not big on euphemisms. Um, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> right. I am such a, you know, such a beat around the bush kind of girl. Yeah, um, right, sure. Yeah. I'm fine with, I am fine with slapping people in the head and saying, look, you know, because now already my worry is that already people are saying, oh, well, things are back to normal. Kids are in school. And, you know, no, they, aren't, don't need they to, aren't back to normal. We, they are not back to normal. They're not back to normal social and emotional behavior. Right, still right. just off the charts driving people crazy. Um, high school well, it's kids, forcing teachers know, just, out of the, out of the profession, out. which is really teachers bad. Teachers are leaving uh, yeah. the profession. And there's Absolutely. no pipeline behind it. Yeah, there's no pipeline behind no. it, which is really bad. Which is very, very worrisome. So, so that's where I am on it is, so that's the first thing is, yes, we can fix it, but we have to, and we have to make it, that means we have to make it a real priority. So that's A. B, a second thing that I talk about a lot is that, and this is something that I learned in part from Carol uh, Basile, who is the um, dean of the uh, teacher preparation programs at Arizona State University. Mm-hmm. And what she says is, you know, so for years we said to teachers, you go into a classroom with 25 kids and we want you to not only meet all of their learning needs, which may span four or five different grade levels, but also all of their social and emotional needs. And then she said, then we said, and now we want you to do all of that online. Well, it didn't work, and it didn't work in person, and it didn't work even more online. So what we have to do is rethink that whole one teacher in a classroom with 25 kids model. And you can call it team teaching. I mean, there have been different approaches. Arizona State is doing some really groundbreaking work, I think, where they pair or team up you know, really highly experienced teachers with younger, less experienced teachers Mm -hmm. with teacher preparation, you know, preparing teachers and paraprofessionals, all of that. And there were a few schools in Arizona that had that model um, before COVID hit. And what they found was that it was really very helpful in getting kids through the pandemic. Kids knew how to be online. <clears throat> if a teacher, God help us, got COVID, and teachers got COVID, um, there was somebody who could step in who already knew those kids. There was, you know, so I think that's the second thing is let's relook at the teacher workforce and how we deploy the people we have because that should be your next as book. You, as you say, that should be your next you book. Say, it, right, Redeploying the troops. Redeploying the right. troops. You know, it, That's it, the second and, thing. I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree. I couldn't thing, agree with you more. You go ahead. Good. And then the third thing that I would say is this: so if there was, it is an ill wind that blows no good. 
and the one. And you can good, quote her. And you can quote Chris. Right. That. Yeah. Right. Uh, Nobody yeah. ever said that before, right? But um, <laughs> the one really positive thing that came out of the pots of money that when because when the Fed finally turned the money spigot on. You know, boy, if there is one thing the federal government can do, it is move money fast. Yep. And so they <laughs> made it possible for schools to take their 10-year technology plans and turn them into six-month technology plans. That's as soon right. as I mean, there was a period of time where there were no Chromebooks available in the United States of America, uh, there were no chips and there, there just weren't any. I had a friend who was who finally... <laughs> you know, had some shipped in from Seoul, and I'm not making Yeah, exactly. That. I, yeah, I remember those. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, a million right, years ago, two and a half years. Right. Yeah, we remember all those stories. And yeah. of the pandemic, pretty much every kid had a device and connectivity. Yeah. Now, that is really good. That is good news. And yet, because I think everybody was sick of being online, like, I'm hearing, you know, kids have to turn the computers in at the end of the year and teachers aren't using it. They aren't ever saying, let's go online and do some activities that way. You know, it's like now that we've actually got that accomplished, now can we figure out what we can do with technology when every kid actually has access to it? Because we're not, once again, shockingly, not doing the greatest job of it. And and I understand why everybody kind of thinks, oh, ick, I'm going to vomit if I have to turn on a Zoom platform again. <laughs> Don't vomit. <laughs> Don't vomit. Uh, it's too so early in the day to vomit. Those are my three big things. Our one, yeah. acknowledge well, that we've got the problem. And then two, use the research we know to fix it. And, and change the way we deploy teachers and figure out how to use technology. So my three points turned into four, but there you go. I, and and I, that's okay. You can you turn them into six if you want, okay? <laughs> I have a question for you. Who do you yeah. who, again, the book is, everybody, Chris Amundsen's our guest, Unfinished Learning. I got it linked on the site, Parent Schools and the COVID School Closures. Okay, who do you want to read the book? Where do you want the book to land and impact? Do you want politicians? Do you want teachers? Do you want parents? You're probably going to say all of the above, but I'm curious in your mind, who'd you write it for? Yeah. Okay. So one is um, I do feel like education policymakers need to read it because I think they're learning the wrong lessons from you know, then there was, of course, a huge amount of parent activism. The longer parents stayed at home, you know, the madder they got. And um, so uh, then they got really active in some elections. I think the San Francisco school board yeah, elections sure. were three. School yeah, they, board they recalled were recalled. those people. Yep, yep, yep. Right. Um, I think that is a that is absolutely a direct result. You know, parents were sitting at home tuning in to watch the school board meetings. And I can tell you when I was on school board, nobody watched the school board meetings. It was a great thing. You toiled in obscurity, and it was a wonderful, wonderful way to do public service. But then everybody was locked up. So suddenly they're tuning in, and instead of hearing Mm. their school boards Mm. talk about how are we going to get kids back to the in-class learning and what are we doing about reading scores and all of that, you know, they saw – School boards doing what I would call performative politics, you know, 
let's pass a resolution filled with lots of words that doesn't actually do anything. Let's rename a whole bunch of schools, um, yeah. including like Diane Feinstein is suddenly yeah, a, and George Washington know, or Abe somehow, Lincoln, whatever it was in San Francisco. <laughs> right, are yeah, suddenly responsible for racial absurd. inequality in America. So crazy. So so education policymakers need to understand this. The parents now are kind of on to policymakers. And That's they good. are looking. That's good. That's good. And they and what they need to see and hear is school boards and school superintendents who are focused like a laser on what are we going to do now to get these kids back to where we know they can be, but they aren't. So that's the first group is those policymakers need to read it because they need to understand that. Second, I would say um, political, non, not the school board types, but state right. legislators and members of Congress, governors, need to understand that there's a lot of talk and, and we hear people saying, oh, it was critical race theory was the reason that, um, you know, a certain yeah. governor in yeah. Virginia won his yeah. election. Governor Youngkin, everybody. I mean, governor Youngkin. I yeah. went, yeah, I went back. I looked at the polling. I looked at focus groups. It was school closures. It was parents just saying, this is just not acceptable. We, You know, our kids needed to be back in school, and they weren't. And so I think that's the second thing. The third thing, the third group that I yeah. want to read it are journalists because God oh, knows writing about education is a hard job, but I think so many of these reporters just kind of miss the boat. And so um, I think they need to um, get more involved with, they need to learn how to look at things like test scores. And and I know teachers hate saying we got to look at test scores, but, you know, it's like you can say, I want to lose weight, but I never want to step on the scale. I mean, sooner or later, we got to kind of know <laughs> good, where good we analogy. are. Good analogy. Yeah, yeah. right. You know, we got to yeah. know where we are. And that doesn't mean we have lost you know, an entire two decades of progress. I am not saying, and Mrs. Jones in the Waynewood Elementary School fourth grade, it is your fault. I'm not saying that, but I, but I am saying that if you are a fourth grade teacher, if you were a fourth grade teacher at the beginning of 2021, or, uh, <clears throat> you know, with kids who, or with, at the beginning of that school year when kids had been out for a full year, um, I heard stories of kids who walked in fourth grade classes and the number of children who knew how to multiply in that classroom was zero. Mm. And the teacher said mm. to me, I, I can now teach what? him how to multiply, yeah. now but what? I, can't, yeah. I can't also teach him fourth grade math. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. Okay. So Chris, you're, we, yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah. I no, mean, really. So that's it. I mean, you put together something good here, and I'm going to add, if, if I may, school board members, okay, mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's school administrators more so than teachers need to read the book, 
Chris knows what she's talking about, and she has always. I have to say this about you, Chris. You're all, you always put yourself right in the middle of what you're talking about. It's not like you're looking at it from afar. Okay, you and I, again, you were very involved, state board chairperson. Okay, this is the voice of the people. Okay, you were state legislator, voice of the people. You were the NASB CEO, which is the State Boards of Education CEO, uh, the association. I mean, it's just. You really do. So you see it from the inside out. Your, your words are always good to us. So good. What can I say, Chris? Good luck with the book. It's terrific. Oh, you did good. Thanks you did good, so pal. Much. Okay, you're welcome. All right. Yeah, this, it's always great. As you can tell, I get a little revved up, but it's... Um, That's okay. I'm glad you do. We, I love it. It's a do. great... Uh, it's always a, a joy to be with you. It, and it's a pleasure to have you here. Okay, my friend? You take care, Chris, and Alrighty. thank you. Thank Thanks you. so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, bye. Chris Amundsen, everybody. You know her background. The book's Unfinished Learning, and I have it linked here. The subtitle is Parents, Schools, and the COVID School Closures. Okay? We had to we had to fly, build the plane while we were flying it. Now we got to look back and see how that flight went. Okay? And we got to make sure that, God forbid, anything that happens again, we do it differently and better. Okay? We all tried. Okay, we all tried. Okay, now we got to look back on it. Okay, you got to step on the scale. All right, we're going to archive the show at ace-ed.org. My name is Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.